You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Therapist Uncensored brings you decades of experience with interpersonal psychotherapy, relational neuroscience, modern attachment, and anything else they think will be helpful in healing humans. Now, here are your co-hosts, Dr. Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. Hey, Sue Marriott. Hey, Ann Kelly. We've been saying we are going to start wrapping up season five for quite a while. And we're really going to do it with this episode and the next. We really are going to draw season five to a close. And you know what's so damn exciting is that we're doing it at a time where we just hit two million downloads. Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that. You're always so shy about sort of tooting our own horn, but this is a big one. So, hey, congratulations. You know what we did, guys? In celebration, we went out and bought new mics. (laughs) Does it sound different? (laughs) (laughs) You know, one reason why it's easy to talk about the two million downloads is really, yes, I guess it is tooting our own horn, but really feels like the things we are covering, people really want to hear, want to know about, and what I really hope is making a difference. And it feels that way. So it's kind of exciting to stop and think about that. It really, really, really is. And with the letters and stuff that we get and the support we get is just amazing. And because we've covered so much territory in these last five years... Today, what we're going to be doing is trying to bring this together. So there's two things kind of that we do. We have a thread where it's Anne and I talking about integrating some of these ideas. And we have some ideas of our own that we'll talk about today. Uh, we'll kind of summarize what we've integrated, you know, what we've what the thread is that we've been talking about. And then we also bring in really respected experts. And not only does that connect you, the listener, with the source of these uh, some of these ideas, which is super exciting, but it also continues to update our model. So then, right. we, so then when we come back on, now we've integrated that. We Sometimes we get books sent to us that are pre-published. So we really have our fingers on the pulse, our thumb on the pulse. <laughs> <laughs> the tip of our middle fingers was, I think, what you're supposed to do on the pulse of kind of what's coming out. So that's exciting and fun. And today we're going to try to bring them together in a overview. Because we've covered so much, there's no way in one episode we're going to be able to summarize, like you said, from all the experts that we continue to grow from and how our thoughts have developed. But I think we're going to give it a shot. We're going to give a shot about doing an overview of the need to know. You know, obviously, it's going to be a very brief kind of consolidated overview on the need to know and how to deepen security inside yourself and building more secure relationships with others you know, based on attachment, interpersonal neurobiology. The general relational sciences. Yes. Absolutely. So there'll be three big bullet points for today. And we'll go with the first one, which I want you to think of it as like the umbrella. And we call it the three R's. We love our acronyms. Not as much as some people that we read. We try to limit them. The three R's, how they relate, is how to think about deep change. Like what is a process of change in our body? And we like to think of it conceptually as the three R's. A lot of people have talked about this in different ways. This is just the way that we've landed to talk about it. The three R's are to recognize, to reevaluate, and then to rewire. 
So it sounds easy and simple, it kind of is. You can't change your internal working models. You can't change unconscious processes unless you begin to see them and notice them. They're unconscious. Right. And that's the hardest part of it, isn't it? One of the major things that we want to cover when we talk about the spectrum, the modern attachment spectrum, et cetera, is to bring insight and awareness so that you can recognize things. Because otherwise, one of the things in our podcast logo is to take you off autopilot and bring you into a more intentional way of being. That is so important. And we are an autopilot so much more than we realize. And so recognizing that we're on autopilot and what the patterns are is probably one of the hardest, but most essential steps, right? It's like a first step that we can't do anything without being aware. And you know, you think of them right now, I bet everybody knows someone who is not interested in recognizing these things. And that's okay. There's no judgment about it. But in the process of change, which these three R's represent, you have to start there. You know, all along, there's been kind of this, I think we said it one time, and then it kind of got picked up about light bulbs. So think of the light bulb as that, that's where the, it goes from unconscious to conscious, or it goes from like unformed to a formed thought. And again, that's the recognition. And by the way, sometimes that is really uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sometimes make, it's really exciting. It is. Sometimes we make the light bulb seem like being, oh my gosh, I have this self-insight. But for me personally, sometimes like, oh God, I just <laughs> recognize something I've been doing. And the worst part is when you recognize you've been doing it for a long time. That sucks, doesn't it? <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> then here's the trick is then remembering that you recognized it, right? Because it goes away again. We have to re-remember these, uh, oh God, moments. But if we can recognize the, oh God, but then realize that in doing so, it's actually going to really help us with the next step. Like if we don't go through that, oh God, that hurts. Mm -hmm. And getting feedback from other people or recognizing in yourself can actually be one of the most important steps. That leads into the second R, which is to reevaluate. The recognize doesn't stop. So it's going to build on each other. So we keep recognizing because we keep having those moments. But the reevaluation process is when we begin to actually sort of map what's going on. And it's where we find our triggers. It's when we begin to get curious, like over-responsiveness to certain things. Often when you begin to retell the stories from your early life and get more interested in those really important relationships then and in the relational process now. So the idea of reevaluation is that we begin to question our own story and update our narrative, learning new things. Because a lot of times when we begin to look at our story, a lot of times when you begin to look at the model, that usually the model that we got from you know, our early life is, if we're struggling with it, it's things that are not great about ourselves or about the world. The reevaluation is, okay, what of my old story do I want to keep? And what do I want to update to a more accurate model? I think it'd also be fair to say that reevaluation is also involved in how you might consequently rigidly see other people in an inaccurate way, right? You were saying that we have all this sort of like insecurity. The opposite can be true. We can have an over sense of security and really think we have it down and everybody else is a bunch of idiots, right? Recognizing that is a really hard, that's step one. And then the next step where you're saying reevaluate to have to hold, because to hold that, you have to hold discomfort inside you. And that's a really hard thing to do. But then you have to sort of reevaluate, wait, if I run around thinking that I have it down and everybody else doesn't, and to really recognize that's a pattern of mine, start to understand where that come from and thought, I really need to relook at that. 
Just that step, you can imagine what a change that could make if you did nothing else in your life or if somebody in your life did that for you. Mm -hmm. Man, what a difference that makes. And Anna, it totally makes me think of the big power issues that, you know, we can look at it at a societal level, uh, whether it be white privilege or patriarchy, whatever it is, where that we have an investment in not seeing and not reevaluating. So it's a big topic. And we do, one of the things that we do like to do in our model is to really incorporate context and culture and power and things like that. And you'll kind of hear that throughout. So we've got recognize, we've got reevaluate. And then the last one is when we actually do the rewiring. And this is super exciting because it's not just a metaphor of rewiring our brain. Our brains actually change. You can change your brain to change your mind to change your relationships. And all of those things are actually true. And some people really have like, why would I do this? I am who I am, you know, and that actually isn't true, right? Like we can rewire. That is the one of the most exciting things. And I think it gives hopefulness on a very deep level, both for ourselves individually in couples that we can rewire in a way. Although so often we were trying to rewire the other person in our lives and get hopeful about that. <laughs> The truth is if we really can look at a problem, (laughs) if we can look at our own rewiring and actually be invested in our own rewiring, we see how much we change our relationships. And that's something we have agency over. We really do impact and feel empowered in all relationships, even those ones that we feel that disempowered and stuck in. Just to give an example, these are typically where you're having new actual experiences. They're bottom up. Inside alone is not enough. We really actually have to have new safe experiences, be very uncomfortable, kind of be at that. Emotion typically has to be involved. What we're describing with the three R's is the path. So we're about halfway through this book that Ann and I are writing to kind of get these ideas out there a little bit more. So, you know, there'll be different places where we're going to go into more detail about each of these things. So that's the umbrella is the path. That's kind of your North Star. This is, what, this is where we're going and kind of the general path of how you get there. And one of the umbrellas of that that we integrate is how attachment has developed in our body from beginning to adulthood. And there's a ways that research has talked about. I think we talked about that in another podcast pretty recently about the evolution of the study of attachment and how we see it. But then we've also have, guess what, another acronym to help us understand kind of how the evolution of attachment through our life cycle, develops and impacts our relationships now. Those of you who want to know more about any of this, go to our show notes, and we are going to link to some of the other episodes where we've done more of a deep dive on some of these little concepts. And watch out for when and if we get this book published. What Anne's referring to with this kind of bringing it together, we call it BAMA, B-A-M-A. Basically, the B is biology. The second one is attachment. The third one is maps. So all of those three are kind of three and below, although that's the maps, it's the actual internal working model. It's the maps that end up carrying forward and that they do change over time. They can change over time, fortunately. And then the last day is more about adult relating. And the reason that we're just saying that is that it's not one thing. It's this accumulation from our bodies and our biology, which affects our attachment behaviors, which then go into patterns of thinking, which then create mental models which then shape all of our relationships. We get on a trajectory based on these, you know, our mental models and our attachment status. And it doesn't mean, you know, we're not stuck forever, but, you know, it really is a trajectory. And then our relationships kind of become self-perpetuating. Yeah, it's a self-perpetuating part that can be some of the most painful points for 
all of us. If you think about it, Nan, like you might think about what has surprised, like what's something new that's changed your thinking. You know, I definitely had the attachment categories. I had understood that. The truth is that's actually, you know, it's been for 70 years that we've been on that path for researchers and scientists. And that's super exciting. But then, you know, incorporating the neurobiology and you know, at one point we were talking to someone and they were saying, well, you know, we don't really need that neurobiology stuff because really what matters is the attachment. And I say, well, actually, we could actually not talk about attachment and just talk about our nervous systems and our biology. So the truth is you need both and they go together and they affect each other. Which is a great jumping off point to say why the development of our spectrum. We talk about the modern attachment regulation spectrum. And if you've gone to our website, you will see what we call an attachment bundle there. And it involves this model that we have that's a visual representation of all that we're talking about. And what you just said really is a jumping off point, right? Because we have to integrate both our everyday neurobiology that affects our states And we have to realize that we're not just single individuals that have one attachment, and this is how we relate to the world, that every single day and every single moment we are in relation to something. And that impacts how we view the world, act on the world, see the world. So we have our own neurobiology. And then as you went through Bama, we have developed our own adult attachment, I guess you could say schemas based on the Bama development, right? And the spectrum is to help you see how those interrelate. One quick note about the history of this, and again, we've covered this a lot and some of the other ones, you'll see it in the show notes, but it started with developmental child development with just the infant. Then it expanded and looked at the caregiver infant dyad. Then it expanded a little bit more and looked at adults and the correlation between those early experiences. And then it expanded with social science into adult attachment and looking at that. And now what's really happening now is it's not just the romantic dyad or the just the friendship dyad or what have you that we're looking at more complex relationships, whether that be multiple partners or family units or communities, society, things like that, context and culture. I think what I just said sort of integrates several things right, around the point. Yeah, how it started with an individual and has landed in this sort of big way. And now we go back to the individual to really learn how to change it. Yeah, that's a a great way of summarizing it. And that's part of one reason we decided that a visual image would be very helpful to people. And I've found it to be really helpful because it really is hard to hold all this information. First, we're learning all these things about ourselves, then about other people. But if we forget how they go together, how we respond and interact and how we can trigger each other in really difficult ways or we can really help each other develop a much more secure way of relating is a really powerful thing to see. Right, because it's very easy to kind of locate yourself on these spectrums. By using the colors and everything, we can look at just the biology, which is the state that you're in. So for example, in any given moment, you might be more activated. People will hear polyvagal theory and affective co-regulation, you know, the whole biology, the neural Wi-Fi part. What's cool about that is that at any given moment, it can move and it can change. And what we want to look at is what we want to do is be in the green, which is this integrated state. At times we get nervous, activated, and we call that kind of moving into the red. 
where our sympathetic nervous system is getting activated. That's right. That's the fight flight freeze, freeze as in sympathetic activation. Don't think of fighting with fists and fleeing and running. Think of getting defensive, shutting down, avoiding going after someone, starting an argument. That's really what we mean by fight flight. And then, you know, if we tend to respond to stress or if any given moment we're in this more withdrawn, you know, you're less activated, your heart rate and everything and actually goes down, your digestion goes down. It's a full body experience going into the blue, which is we cool off. So blue is the cooling off and the state. And then green is the, okay, I'm in this integrated state, which is the ventral vagal. Some people call it social engagement. And then the red is where we get more activated and we're on the ceiling, we're yelling, you know, whatever. But one part of this is just the biology and it can change like right now as you're listening and you were to do a quick scan. They might be getting like going really slow (laughs) because all this technical language maybe. (laughs) Or what I was fantasizing about or imagining is that they were so excited that their heart was racing. It's like hanging onto our every word. But what's great about this is if you can begin to just notice your own state at any given particular moment by, again, recognizing it, then we can begin to move it a little bit. So if you find yourself more activated than you mean to be, there's things you can do to move back into regulation. And then if you find yourself like not thinking kind of in that more puddly place, there are things basically it's about action. You take action and you basically hit the accelerator just a little bit. And that will help get you out of that blue. It's not really a mood. It's like a state a of state. being. Yeah. So by recognizing our daily state or our moment to moment state, by being able to feel it. And one of the reasons we have the pictorial image of a continuum is to really highlight that we can move. So often we try to think of ourselves in categories, right? It's just the way our brain works. And attachment literature definitely falls under that, right? You either fall in the green, you fall in the red, you fall in the blue, like a a little bit like a dismissing. And so it's very categorical. Well, necessarily so, right? Because it was research. And with research, you, you need to split people. But what we're doing is we're looking at all the research and we're pulling it out to make it clinically useful and useful in real life. And also it's more intuitively like I'm not just preoccupied. I'm preoccupied in certain circumstances, more or less preoccupied in a particular moment. So basically what we've learned about the biology is that once you begin to have these adaptations and these strategies, you begin to kind of lean towards a certain state. And if you stay in a state long enough, it can then begin to create these patterns, which switches us into actually talking about attachment and internal working models. Now, we can also track those on a continuum, the same continuum. We're going to keep the colors. So the attachment continuum, I want you to think of that, the green being secure. In every country, there's more secure than insecure, period. And in some countries, UK, (laughs) we're going to give you a big shout out. You know, some of the research shows that there's like 75% secure, which is awesome. So let's talk about the spectrum and how we integrate both the individual states, the internal working model, and how it relates to one another. Yeah, it's a lot of complex things to try to visualize. And if you're running or in your car or whatever, don't worry, we're going to have this in the show notes. But imagine like a little bit of a spectrum of color, and it's gradiated. So the middle part of it is green. And then as it moves to the right, it turns red. And you know, it has a gradation. And then as it moves to the left, it turns darker blue. First, we're going to describe what it represents from a state perspective, which is the biology in your body. 
which is also just the moment to moment kind of experience. Our moment to moment experience is basically our biology and how we respond as humans. And we are kind of respond in predictable ways when we feel safe versus as we get to be activated or feeling threatened and go into the red, which is our activated, more sympathetic response, which we all hit. Different things create that hit for us, but we all go into activated state where we hit the red, our heart rate goes up, our blood pulses. And it's not necessarily bad. And we're doing this actually all the time. We have a little bit of an accelerator when there's some activation, when we get interested in something, we go, you That's know true. I mean? Excited. When we're riding our bikes, when we're doing something challenging, sports, all those things. It's a positive thing. It's morally neutral <laughs> that sometimes that activation looks like that. And sometimes the activation is in the fight flight that many of you are familiar with. And by fight flight, we're not meaning fists and running what we mean is defensiveness, starting an argument, walking away, withdrawing, walking away, shutting down. But those things are done in an activated state. It's important to remember none of this is pathology. In fact, it's super healthy ways that we go about protecting ourselves and keeping us safe. Or if it's excitement, keeping us interested and activated towards things that could be goal-oriented and things we need. So it's based on our biology that keeps us safe and it keeps us really functioning in the world. And then the blue is part of the parasympathetic nervous system where our body cools off and goes down. Right. It's the break. It's the break. break. And we have it on a continuum so that as we are seeing this and maybe utilizing, it reminds us that we can vary from moment to moment every day. We can go from a red to blue, some of us more often, more frequently (laughs) than others, but that it's a varied state. And it's a great reminder to help you remember that part that Sue was talking about earlier that says to recognize. So if you can just recognize in a day-to-day moment, like where you are in the continuum, what state you're in, just that awareness can really make a difference. Totally. Even right now, as you're listening, you could do a quick x-ray and see if you can just notice anything. Just think in terms of color. Are you green? Are or you, have you slowed down? Right. Into are the, you a little blue? Slowing down to the blue because we're putting you to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> or because we were saying something very threatening and you need to have some distance from it. That's another version. So the parasympathetic, think of that's the break. The red is the accelerator. And that green is when we have a nice kind of coasting space. That's the moment to moment. Now let's overlay that with the attachment science and internal working models. So we do all respond as human to go up and down, but based on our history, as we talked about in Bama and as we develop, our body adapts to what our environment is and learns to utilize the way of activation that helps you keep safe and secure or protects you in danger So you start to develop more predictable, repetitive patterns. We don't just all run on that spectrum the same. Some of us visit more of the red and live more in the blue, or maybe we live a little bit more in the blue and we visit the red. Some of us, because of our history, have been able to kind of develop a deeper sense of security and find ourselves kind of living more in the green, the more secure place. The important part of this is that the reason we use colors is to depathologize and that's a very important part of the whole spectrum is we don't want to pathologize and using words sometimes like attachment disorder or preoccupied 
or dismissing. Sometimes that's a really hard thing to look at yourself or your spouse and say, and you're being really dismissing. That doesn't always go well, but it really does help them. We found it very effective to be able to talk to yourself going, I'm feeling a bit blue or I'm feeling a bit red. It's a depathologizing way to say that we can recognize ourselves and where we're going, but it also is like, this is kind of where we live more through our life experience we end up protecting ourselves in a more predictable way that's developed from an internal working model into how we develop an adult attachment. So on the spectrum, you're going to see little maps. And this is what we call your internal working model. But the truth is you don't just live and it doesn't just stay in one place. The good news we've discovered and what's really integrated in our model is that these maps can grow and develop throughout your lifetime. Absolutely. And so... If you could see it visually, you've got the spectrum colors, and then we have a little push pin that pushes the map on, and you can have you know the blue map and the green map and the red map. And so just as a reminder, what we're saying is that based on your body experiences, your nervous system responding to other nervous systems when you're young, as Anne was saying, that you figured out how to get safe and to stay safe. And by safety, what we mean when you're young is it's maintaining not just proximity to your caregiver, but it's keeping them available. So in some cases, it's giving them space so they'll stay available, if that makes sense. That's part of what the blue's about. So that's the safety when we're young. With the states, as the states begin, just like Anne was saying, when they become a pattern, when we realize that, oh, if I go straight towards her, and again, this is not conscious. It cannot be conscious. This is all pre-3. So there's no way that you can think these things except in retrospect, you can sort of make sense of your story. The body doesn't lie. So if you know that you relate more to the blue, and and you want to describe some of the characteristics from an attachment standpoint, what the blue sounds like, just briefly. Somebody kind of living more in the blue. Someone living more in the blue tends to really, really rely mostly on themselves and trust themselves because the world hasn't been necessarily reliable, so they've learned to go within And sometimes living a little bit too much in the blues, we don't seek help. We don't think we need help. And we've shut down our attachment system more than counting on it. And so it's really hard if you live in the blue to fill your own needs for things. You often could be either over caretaking of other people through caregiving a lot, but without much connection to yourself or you kind of think, hey, I can handle myself, so can you. But there's kind of a deactivation of the attachment system. Some of the rougher signs of that is, do you find yourself in conversations eye-rolling a lot or thinking that most people don't really know what they're talking about or that you know what you're talking about and if they would just hush up and listen, you might find yourself living more in the blue. Or if you have an aversion to emotion and you want to quickly fix things and wrap it up, if people look super needy and you don't feel needy at all. And again, this has all been really detailed outlined in other podcasts. So we're just really going to touch on it. That's the blue map. When you were very young, you had your nervous system adapted in that direction over and over. And that was your best adaptation. Now, if your nervous system needed to upregulate and kind of look for your caregiver and hang on to them, then that's going to look more like a little bit of a red map. They describe it as more preoccupied because if your caregiver has been inconsistent, like they're there, but they're not there for all sorts of different reasons, we end up learning, oh my gosh, if I relax, I might miss them. So we stay very in the red, aware of our environment, 
our state then stays very activated and charged so that we tend to really over-index on our emotions. And when we get flooded with those emotions during that state, it's really hard to access our reason and our more rational place. Yeah, it's hard to soothe us. Good point. That's the difference, actually, between security and ambivalence or insecure, preoccupied. You know, let's just call it red. Between the red and the green is that the green can get really upset and be very distressed. But when the connection happens again, they're they're very quick to soothe. So if it's a baby, they calm right down. If it's a partner, they're upset because they've been out of contact, say, unexpectedly out of contact. But then when you get in contact, there's the reassurance. Versus when you live a little bit more in the red, the more activated state, and you've been preoccupied trying to keep, when a rupture happens, it's very activating in the body. What's so important about this is this integration of the body. This is not just a thought. That's right. And that's why the, the red is harder to soothe. So that was that piece was that both the green and the red will get upset about the rupture. The green will let you soothe them. The red both wants it, but also holds back and is scared to believe it. Scared to believe it and scared to calm it, right? Because that is so much more threatening. When you live and we're fortunate enough to live in a more secure green way of relating, your nervous system anticipates that things are going to be okay. They anticipate that the soothing will help. What's really painful, if you've had to develop a system that lives a great deal in the red, your body hasn't developed trust that other people can soothe. So it really does stay more highly activated. And it's very difficult to calm the nervous system down. It's not just somebody being stubborn. No, not at all. So let's move now to the more interpersonal part of this. So part of what the model incorporates is that let's say I'm getting activated and I'm beginning to get a little red, little pink, whatever that is, violet, In other words, I start trending red. Now, let's say, Anne, you were perfectly fine, but as I go up, I'm going to affect your nervous system. Through neuroception, I'm going to get definitely impacted. And depending on where I live the most or what my body is used to being is how I'm going to respond to you. So if I tend towards blue and emotions are overstimulating for me and it signals to me danger, my first instinct might be to fix it for you. And I would want to fix it so that you would calm down. Right. It wouldn't come from the caring, connected place. It would be, let's get this wrapped up real quick. And how you often see that in an everyday life is somebody's really upset about something and brings it up and the other person will say, well, that's just not rational. It's just like, that's just ridiculous. If you would just hush up and listen to me, you wouldn't need to be nervous. So just listen to my rational thinking. And if I could tell you rationally why you are being irrational all should be good in your body, right? Right. And if we slow that down, you can hear the emphasis is on reason. There's a deactivation. It's basically privileging information that is cognitive and intellectual over affect and emotion. If you are in the blue. Right. And then they're trying to talk you into, through the left brain, through language, talk you into their state, which is a deactivated state. And if you're in an activated state, do you think it will work very well? It doesn't work very well. (laughs) And you can hear it. It doesn't because our activated state is not actually connected to the rational. In fact, high stress and high intensity actually really blocks the functioning of our prefrontal cortex. When we're in a highly red state, our prefrontal cortex is not very activated. So we need to calm the nervous system down. So the point of using the spectrum, let's bring this all back to the spectrum, is that we want a visual reminder. 
when you get a chance to take a look, or maybe you can just imagine, we have two faces facing each other on part of the spectrum to kind of remind us that unfortunately, often, if we're not very aware, the further out your person you're engaging with goes, it can often push us the opposite direction. So in this example, the more emotional Sue becomes and the more, no, and unfortunately, often in the red, people get angry and unfortunately, they tend to focus on what's been done to them. So it's like, I can't believe you've done this to me. And they're very, very activated. Well, of course, if I run blue and that kind of emotion, A, scares me and B, I feel overly connected to that I should have no problems and make no mistakes, guess where I'm going to go? I'm going to immediately start defending myself and telling Sue, you're just ridiculous for being so emotional. This is interpersonal neurobiology at work. This is neuroception. We're going back and forth and how painful, you can see how far out we can push one another. Yeah. And this is, you know, we call it neural Wi-Fi. You know, we have this Bluetooth connection and we're massively impacting one another. Now you had said, if you lean towards the blue, the red might push you out further on either of these things. When it's an extreme, the further out you get, even if you're pretty solidly green, you will begin to shift in the other direction or at least into some, what they call an insecure state. So security is in the green and around the green. It doesn't have to be perfectly green. That's secure. And then what they're calling insecure, which I don't know a better term for because of the pathology in it, is either of the poles, is either of the sides. And then one other point is the further out you get, the more you distort information. So being mad makes you stupid. (laughs) And I don't mean that in a rude way, but it's actually true. Like you were saying, it shuts down your prefrontal cortex and then you're not taking in all the information. You're taking in mostly information from your body and from your feelings. In that moment, you can't trust so much because it's over-indexing and the same on the other side. So basically it distorts how we perceive information coming in when we're in a grounded, integrated mind, body, left, right, up, down state, a balanced place, then that's where we can learn. And that's when we can say, like even do the fine tuning of our internal models, empathy and compassion and perspective taking is very easy there. And so it's a very easy place to like update your model. When we're over on these other sides and we're in the colors, the learning shuts down. It's very hard to learn and to be reflective and to perspective take. And that's one of the reasons why you'll see in the image we use the sunglasses. And that is, the, like you're saying, the further out, the darker our sunglasses. And so we really do see everything through shades. Now, of course, this is important to realize, just like you mentioned earlier, even if you were lucky enough through culture and through your family environment to live more in the green, what's so important about us showing you this model is that things are going to push you out into deep red and deep blue. We're going to also want to touch base on tie-dye, but they will push you out. So just because even if I live in the green and you start saying, I can't believe you did this to me and you suck and you are highly activated, it's going to probably take a momentous effort for me not to first get extremely defensive, shut down, either go to the red myself, or if I'm more likely to drop blue. And so we want to recognize the states and how much it clouds us and get grounded And then go, okay, wait, if I can get myself back to a secure way of relating, and that is in the green, which would be easier if I live there, what we want to do is really focus on strategies to get there, right? So that I might need a second to say, I am really overwhelmed. I have got to step out. You're really pissing me off. 
and I am like ready to throw a fit, but if I can bring myself into more of a regulated state and I can only visualize myself coming back into the green. And some people talk about using the spectrum and they literally say, they look at the colors and go, how do I move myself towards the green? Cause what I really want to do is kill them. But it well, really does help remind you that you can. Yeah. What we really want to do when we're a little bit activated, either direction is to change the other person. Right. And I think what I hear you saying in is if we can get that mirror up and recognize our own activation and believe me again, I'm a recovering blue our lack of activation is also a sign. So if we can recognize everyone else is feeling something and I'm not, or everyone else is upset about this and I'm not, but that's a sign of activation. And then with the spectrum, it's like, okay, so if I know that I'm too cool, how do I warm up? And if I know that I'm too hot, how do I cool off? And there are specific strategies for, you know, going red to green and blue to green. It's not always blue to green. You need to move from blue to a more activated state. So you go from not caring and shrugging to, to being, being off. to being mad, which is good. It's better because mm-hmm. it's a more engaged place. And then from there, hopefully moving back into the green with whoever that interaction is around. So that's the interactive part of this model is that we really want you to be able to identify your state, what color you're feeling in that moment, have some insight and recognition of your map, which is where you're Mm -hmm. going to kind of trend and then really know how to move it and know how to move it more to a secure integrated place. And also recognize again, the interactive part of this, how to move those that are closest to you, your children, your spouse, just those that are the closest to you to recognize where their map really falls and how do you help them move into a more green way of relating? Because oftentimes we overly attribute people having conscious control of that which they have none. And the truth is the more out on the continuum we fall, the less on both sides, actually, we aren't able to have conscious control as much as we think. We get way too caught on the specific information of the offense that y'all are fighting about and the rational parts. If you would just understand this, you wouldn't be mad anymore, but I'm screaming it and yelling it and defending myself. If we are that far out on the continuum, nothing good's going to happen. So it's good to recognize, to use it to even recognize two people having the spectrum on the refrigerator at times can have signs that they put for themselves. I am this far out when this is happening. So you can start actually having a visual representation to tell you when to back off. Yeah, this is what the whole, it's not me, it's my amygdala is about. (laughs) You know, we're packing tons in here. And for long-term listeners, a lot of this will be familiar. Hopefully you're getting new perspectives and new, the set in a new way. If you're new to this, this is probably a lot, especially when we're describing something that you can't see. You don't have to wait for the book. There's already stuff. But actually before that, the attachment bundle has a lot of this. If you go through some of the podcast episodes, and again, we'll link some of those in the show notes any of one of these concepts, we've probably expanded on it another time. So don't get overwhelmed. And believe it or not, as much as it could sound like we're doing this episode to advertise our course, we really are not because... I don't think anybody was thinking that. Well, I don't know. <laughs> but, the, but the reason is just like we feel that passionately about what a difference it can make for you to really recognize what is going on inside you and those around you. And we've seen it be so important and to see how predictable and human we all are and to take a lot of the pathology 
out of these really predictable, painful spots we get in. And we want you to have hope. Oh my gosh, we really can move it when we really shift some things. So if you're up on the spectrum, those are organized places. You're organized secure, or you might be organized what they call insecure. Which means it's predictable. How you're going to respond to different stimuli is pretty predictable. Yeah. And that's powerfully true. Now, if you have a history of unresolved abuse, unresolved loss, if there's trauma, you know, if there are overwhelming experiences, overwhelming to your nervous system, repeated, repeated, then you might not have had a chance to adapt in an organized way and to find a way of relating. And they call that disorganization slash unresolved, meaning it's unresolved trauma. So all that means the tie-dye, we put that in there to show that there's not an organized system of responding to stress and that the goal from tie-dye is to organize, just to organize. One reason we did the tie-dye, another way of calling it is also fearful avoidant. And it's a good way of understanding it. We both fear and want connection but avoid it because we don't anticipate it going well. And so it can be a mixture of these strategies of the red and the blue, sometimes even green, but it's not very organized and predictable. So it can feel very chaotic to live in that place or to be with somebody who's experiencing that. That's right. There's a lot about safety there. So if in doubt like that, you're going to want to move towards safety and You don't have to live there either. You can be a green person. You know, you can be a secure person that can kind of drop off the (laughs) continuum into the puddle for a period of time, a moment, a day, you know, where that organization gets a little disorganized. You have a pocket and then you can pop back in. And the biggest thing with that, again, is safety. So if somebody's in an overwhelmed, sort of it feels internally chaotic or very, very, very blue, this is related to the spectrum. It's basically the brake and the accelerator at the same time. That's why it's disorganizing. Through safety and safe relationships and predictability, we can move that. We can calm down the system and have a more organized way of driving our ship. No, that's a great way of summarizing it. We've gone over a lot today. We wanted to do this episode as kind of a rounding summary as we're coming to a close on our fifth season. Yay. If you want to hear more details of each one of these, um, we always reference back to episode 596061, where we go much more in depth on each of these internal working models and states of beings. If you want to like kind of get more of a sense of how you feel like you relate or other people. We'll reference these in our show notes as well. And also, if you really want to dive even deeper into what we're talking about, we did take the time to make a course. It's a three, four-hour course. You can get even CE credit if you're a therapist that really dives deeper into this entire podcast about the spectrum and helps you visually understand and integrate all the information we just finished talking about. If you are interested in the course, you can put in our clan as your promo code. Since you're this deep into this podcast, you are now part of our clan. And that'll give you a discount. And always, if you are unable to access the course and want it, but aren't able to financially afford it, just let us know. We'll take care of you. Another thing you could do, if you're interested in this, besides the things we've mentioned, we are working on this book to put it together uh, and to go into more detail. But also, we have active Facebook groups that have these kinds of discussions and a Patreon community, an online Patreon community where that we do small reading groups around some of these materials. 
So you can join us there as little as $5 a month, patreon.com backslash therapist uncensored. We would love, love, love to have you. Or just jump on our Facebook group too. If you're not able to, for whatever situation, being able to kind of join and, and sponsor us on any level, don't worry about it. Our goal, goal of this podcast is to get this amazing information far and wide to those who can't receive it might not receive it otherwise. And notice, because of our patrons, we want to thank them, and you can find them on our website, www.therapistuncensored.com. And it is through our patrons, and I would love for you to thank one if you know one, and you can find them on our website, some of them. But it is because of them that we, if you notice, there's not been a single ad on this show, and we're really proud of that. It's because of the patrons that we're able to do that. We are an indie-produced, female-led podcast with no support other than you guys. So thank you for that. And we would love for you to pitch in. And you can support us in any way you would like, including if you just want to stop for a moment and rate and review us, that really does help us. You know, it also helps us get great speakers, by the way. Guests. Guests. Guests, not speakers. Yes. Well, sometimes they turn into speakers. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. As as do we. (laughs) True. So next episode, we're going to do a review of some of our most favorite podcast to give you an idea if you're jumping in to kind of where you might want to go and not want to miss. That's right. Kind of a recap. That'll be fun. Well, let's let people go. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you around the bend. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.